Our reading for today is from the book of John, chapter 18, verses 28, oh, through chapter 19, verse 16. Pilate and the Judeans. So they took Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, the governor's residence. It was early in the morning. They didn't themselves go inside the Praetorium. They were anxious not to pollute themselves so that they would still be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside and spoke to them. What's the charge then, he asked. What have you got against this fellow? If he wasn't doing wicked things, they replied, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Take him yourselves, said Pilate to them, and judge him by your own law. We are not allowed to put anyone to death, replied the Judeans. This was so that the word of Jesus might come true when he had indicated what sort of death he was going to die. So Pilate went back into the praetorium and spoke to Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked. Was it your idea to ask that, asked Jesus, or did the people tell you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I, retorted Pilate. Your own people and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom isn't the sort that grows in this world, replied Jesus. If my kingdom were from this world, my supporters would have fought to stop me being handed over to the Judeans. So then my kingdom is not the sort that comes from here. So, said Pilate, you are a king, are you? You're the one who's calling me a king, replied Jesus. I was born for this. I've come into the world for this, to give evidence about the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Truth, said Pilate. What's that? And with those words, he went back out to the Judeans. I find this man not guilty, he said to them. But look here, you've got this custom that I should let someone free at Passover time. So what about it? Would you like me to release the king of the Jews? No, they shouted. We don't want him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber and an outlaw. So Pilate then took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and dressed him up in a purple robe. Then they came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him. Pilate went out again. Look, he said to them, I'm bringing him out to you so that you'll know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple cloak. Look, said Pilate, here's the man. So when the chief priests and their attendants saw him, they gave a great shout. Crucify him, they yelled. Crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, said Pilate. I find him not guilty. We've got a law, replied the Judeans, and according to that law, he deserves to die. He made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard that, he was all the more afraid. He went back into the praetorium and spoke to Jesus. Where do you come from, he asked. But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate addressed him again. Aren't you going to speak to me, he said? Don't you know that I have the authority to let you go and the authority to crucify you? You couldn't have any authority at all over me, replied Jesus, unless it was given to you from above. That's why the person who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From that moment on, Pilate tried to let him go, 
But the Judeans shouted at him, If you let this fellow go, they said, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who sets himself up as a king is speaking against Caesar. So when Pilate heard them saying that, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the official judgment seat, called the pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day of the Passover, and it was about midday. Look, said Pilate, here is your king. Take him away, they shouted. Take him away. Crucify him. Do you want me to crucify your king? asked Pilate. We have no king, the chief priests replied, except Caesar. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. Here ends the reading. My name is Demetrius. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Jesus the King, our Lord. I bring greetings to you from all the saints who live in Lystra in the Roman province of Galatia. Thirty years ago, I served as the centurion of the Praetorian Guard, assigned to protect the palace of the governor of Judea. I was the one responsible for taking hold of Jesus when he was transferred to Roman custody. It's painful for me to remember, but I must confess to you this morning that it was I who carried out Governor Pilate's orders to beat Jesus during his trial. And it was I who gave the directions to crucify him. It's been hard for me to accept Jesus' words of forgiveness. You know, on the cross, it seemed like he was talking directly to me. But you see, I'm now part of the people of the way at Lystra who worship Jesus, the Messiah. And living within that community, I have found acceptance and love. And in their embrace, I've been able to more surely step into the forgiveness of my Messiah. But even in those days in Jerusalem, I was secretly what my Jewish friends called a God-fearer. <laughs> I was a Roman sympathizer who followed many of the Jewish rituals, but I never became a full convert. I became a God-fearer because I was fascinated by the puzzling history of Israel. You know, it's actually a, a narrative of how Israel's God takes on the world's tyrants, whether Egypt or Babylon. It's a story of how God overthrows the tyrant's power and rescues God's people. I was amazed and surprisingly attracted. Here are the Jews, despised by the Romans, and for hundreds of years suffering cruelty and oppression. But they continued to hold on to the promise of their covenant God that he would come and act to vindicate them before the nations. Yeah. 
My heart longed to know this God of deliverance. So why am I here? Well, many years ago, I met John the Apostle long before he was imprisoned, and we've been friends ever since. A few days ago, he sent me a letter asking me to come and tell you my story of the fateful day where Jesus confronted Pilate. I suspect that John asked me to tell you my story because of how it changed my world. Today, I came to see things differently. And I came to see myself differently. The first thing I, I witnessed on that day was how political power actually works. That is, how it works under the power of the living God. Next, I came to see what a kingdom really was and to understand my own Roman citizenship and how it fits within the kingdom of the Messiah. And perhaps most significantly, I began to understand for the first time what truth really is and how truth works its way into our lives. When the chief priests marched Jesus over to the Praetorium to turn him over to Pilate, they had no idea what was coming. Now, they planned to execute a power play to save their people and to defend their nation's faith. And they ended up betraying both. You see, it was Passover the Jewish Independence Day Festival. And the city was jammed with people from all over the world, celebrating how their God had rescued them from Pilate, from the bondage of Egypt, and to make them God's chosen people. Now, on the one hand, Pontius Pilate, the governor of the Roman province of Judea, wanted no part of any Jewish chief priest scheme that might stir up the people. And on the other hand, the chief priests were bound and determined to put Jesus away, and they were determined that Pilate would be the one to do it. We all knew Pilate as a career politician and a pragmatist, primarily out for his own interests. As a representative of Roman power and justice, he downplayed principle and common decency to embrace raw pragmatism. Long before this day, I had witnessed firsthand how Pilate had used sheer brutality to keep the lid on his otherwise restive subjects. Then there was Caiaphas, who, along with the other chief priests, was not above using naked power to get what he wanted. After all, it was Caiaphas who pushed to ignore Jewish law by holding an illegal hearing before the Sanhedrin, their supreme national court, to decide Jesus' fate in the middle of the night, in his house, The next day, I witnessed how the chief priests used the same kind of power. Sure, 
They claimed they were protecting the nation from deadly Roman reprisals. But what they actually did was to murder an innocent man. Doing so while maneuvering as Judea's national leaders to strengthen their position of influence with Rome. You see, shortly after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Sanhedrin had discussed how to stop Jesus from beginning a threatening popular movement. Caiaphas had told them, this is what's best for you. Let one man die for the people rather than the whole nation being wiped out. Later during that hearing at Caiaphas's house, Jesus admitted to the Sanhedrin that he was the Messiah. Well, messiahs are would-be kings. So the chief priests came to convince Pilate that Jesus deserved the death that Rome reserved for rebels. What I witnessed on that day in Jerusalem was a power play. The greatest legal system in the world caught in political struggle with the noblest faith on earth. But the Roman and the Judean leaders were more than willing to use the cruel power of illegality, immorality, violence, and death to win the day. As I witnessed it all, I found myself questioning again my convictions as a Roman citizen and soldier. The Apostle John taught me that Jesus' power doesn't come from amassing control over others through fear or from pressing home politically his own interests. If it did, then Jesus and his followers would have fought for his release and I would have been caught up in a bloody struggle against my future Messiah and against those who I now call family. But Jesus deflected that violence, taking it upon himself and giving his life for my life. Real power, the power I came to see in Jesus, my Messiah, is about giving of oneself for the sake of others so that another may find life. On that day, Jesus followed through with a painful and grueling display of power that I had never witnessed before. And it was for my sake and for the sake of the whole world. Oh, friends, fellow members in the Messiah, how I wish we could remember that we are called to pursue that kind of power rather than the power the world offers. How I long for myself, for us, to learn how to give of ourselves in service to others, even in the bruising struggle of civic life so that those around us may have the space to flourish, to find life. 
So after arguing with the chief priest, Pilate came back into the palace and spoke to Jesus, who we were guarding. Look, are you the king of the Jews? He asked. I could tell Jesus' response bothered Pilate. Poor Pilate was not used to Jesus' pattern of answering a question with another question. Is that your idea or someone else's? Jesus asked. Listen, I'm not a Jew, Pilate snorted. He was pissed. Look, he said, it's your own people, your chief priests, who have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, my kingdom isn't the kind of kingdom that comes from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my supporters would have fought to stop me from being arrested by the Judean leadership here in Jerusalem. Of course, <laughs> we soldiers had heard about how one of the followers of Jesus started to fight in Gethsemane when they came to arrest him. Simon Barjonas, who I later met as Peter the Apostle, cut off the ear of Alcus, one of the chief priest's servants. Yes, neither Peter nor Pilate knew the kind of kingdom Jesus was inaugurating. And at the time, neither did I. Even though Jesus said his kingdom wasn't the sort that comes from the world, Pilate seized on the claim of a kingdom and mocked him. So you're a king, he said. Pilate sneered. You're calling me a king, Jesus said. Well, actually, he said, I was born for this. I was confused. Was Jesus claiming to be a king of the Jews? It was unbelievable, laughable, actually. I mean, I was looking at a man who was a criminal in the eyes of his own people, a pitiable picture of rejection and failure. To be a king by any standard, uh, Jesus would had to have an army. I mean, he needed troops. He'd have to accomplish some great conquest or have a great victory in some battle. In Jewish history, that's exactly what happened when the king of the Jews, Judas Maccabeus, defeated Syria some 200 years ago and established the Hasmonean dynasty that ruled for generations in an autonomous Jewish kingdom. That's what Herod the Great did when he defeated the Parthians some 60 years ago and was designated by Rome as King of the Jews. It was John the Apostle who later explained to me how Jesus' kingdom isn't from this world. It doesn't take its source and power and authority from the way things are generally done in the world. Its purpose is not rooted in the pride and egoism of selfish ambition and national greatness. John told me that Jesus' kingdom is rooted in the reign of God, rooted in the way things run in the heavens. Jesus is king of the kingdom of God whose purpose it is to bring the heavens to earth, to unite all things in heaven and earth. It would take the resurrection for me to realize and understand that Jesus was not the sort of king that Judas Maccabeus was 
or that Herod the Great was, or still less, the sort of king that Caesar was. But this is why he came in the first place. Jesus told Pilate that he'd come into the world for this, to give evidence about the truth. And he further claimed, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. When I heard those words, my heart skipped. Was this why I was drawn to the mysterious story of the Jewish's, Jews' hopes for the Messiah? Was this why I had been fascinated by this abandoned, sadful man? I found myself asking, is this the man? <laughs> of course, Pilate scoffed. Truth, he said. What's that? But Pilate was an educated man. He seemed to follow the cynics school of Greek philosophy. As far as he knew, the only place you got truth was out of the scabbard of a sword. It was my truth against your truth, my sword against your sword. As a Roman governor, it was his truth against Jesus's truth, his power against Jesus's weakness, his cross was to hang Jesus's naked body. But can you see in that what John taught me later? That it is, in fact, the truth. Jesus came to die on a cross. It's the truth that says one man dies so others may find life. And John taught me something else. He helped me see what it means to belong to the truth. I always assumed that truth was something I did in my head. Once I had it, once I had captured it, I achieved control over myself, over things, over other people. John helped me to see that in Messiah, truth is not something that we master or we grasp for control. Truth is a gift. It's something that is given to us for us to be able to see ourselves and the world rightly. It's like the gift of the Messiah's kingdom. It's a strange gift that comes from somewhere else and is meant to take up residence in the earth. Jesus came to give evidence about this truth. You see, as Messiah and King, Jesus himself is the truth. After Pilate dismissed Jesus' truth claim, he turned, went back outside, and addressed the leaders of the Judean party and their followers. Listen, he said. I don't find this man guilty of anything. But look, you've got this festival custom that I should set someone free at Pentecost, at Passover. So what do you say? Would you like me to release your king of the Jews? The Judean leaders and their party supporters would have nothing of it. No, they shouted, give us Barabbas. 
I was shocked. They wanted to free Barabbas, a thug, a convicted insurrectionist. He had played on people's fears and hatred. His gang of henchmen and bullies had savagely attacked, robbed, and murdered in the name of Jewish nationalism and to drive out us Romans. I lost several legionnaires trying to run him down. When we finally caught him, he had amassed personal wealth and power as head of a terrorist national religious movement. What gruesome irony. Pilate exchanges Barabbas, whose name means son of the father, for Jesus, who we know to be the son of God, our father. When Pilate called me to bring Jesus back to the palace after his beating, I think he thought the crowd might let Jesus go. We had mauled him up pretty well. We shoved Jesus in front of the crowd, and Pilate pointed and shouted, Look, here's the man! But the crowd started chanting, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify Pilate was exasperated. And angrily he yelled back, Look, if you want to crucify him, you do it. He's not guilty. Then the Judean leaders made their final fatal move. They shouted at Pilate, We have a law. He deserves to die. He made himself a king, the son of God. Of course, that's treason for me, a Roman soldier, and for any Roman citizen. Son of God meant one person and one person only, Tiberius Caesar. That's what's on all our coins. Tiberius Caesar, son of God. It was on the coins they had given Jesus just a few days earlier. Now, as a God-fearer, I knew that son of God for the Jews meant primarily two things. First, in the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah and in the other scroll, the Greeks call Exodus, Israel itself is God's son. Second, especially in the Jewish psalm book, God's son refers to the Messiah, Israel's anointed king. For those of us who follow Jesus, Israel's Messiah, the title son of God means nothing less but far more. Certainly more than the claims and a pagan divinity, but even more than the claims of Jewish religious national identity. No, Jesus as the Son of God embodies a strange new reality. In Jesus, Israel's God has become present, has become human. Indeed, he has come to live in the midst of his people, as it was promised in the ancient Hebrew covenant. In his death on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the full horror of our mess. In his resurrection and ascension, he brought about his long-awaited new world. He has established his kingdom to reign on the earth as God always intended through the hearts and lives of human beings.
the image bearers of God. This is what John showed me, that Jesus' death and resurrection, the rule of the King of the Jews, has been established over the nations. We, as his followers, are therefore to go and implement, affect that rule in the world. So when Pilate heard them say Jesus claimed to be king and God's son, he knew what that meant, and it scared him. Frightened, he ran back inside to interrogate Jesus further. Who are you? Where are you from? I didn't hear Jesus say anything. At first I thought maybe he had whispered something to Pilate, but then Pilate's reaction proved me wrong. What? Pilate was in his face. You're not going to speak to me? Don't you understand the serious mess you're in? Don't you know who I am? Listen, king of the Jews, or whoever you are, I'm the one who can set you free or kill you. I have authority over your life. Don't you get it? When I heard Jesus' reply, my heart leaped in my chest. The courage, the audacity, beaten, bleeding, standing alone in chains. Jesus upstaged the one who had threatened to kill his life. Looking directly at Pilate, he calmly yet firmly told him, you could not have authority over me unless it was given you from above. Pilate stood speechless. It was clear to all of us in the palace that day that Pilate simply wanted it all to go away. Jesus had not challenged his authority. He had simply reminded Pilate that Rome was looking over his shoulder. That was enough. Pilate, who had just claimed the power of life and death, now realized he was trapped, trapped by his own expedient politics. He could hear the sneers, what? You mean you had a man in front of you on a charge of making himself a rebel king and you let him go? What's Caesar going to think about all that? So, Pilate told us to drag Jesus outside in front of the high priests and their followers. He pointed to Jesus and told them, here's your king. It seemed to enrage them even more. They screamed, take him away, crucify him. You want me to crucify your king? Pilate asked. He seemed both bewildered and bemused that the Jews would be demanding that he kill one of their rebel leaders. With mob-like fury, they screamed back, we have no king but Caesar. Pilate was helpless. He had no choice. But it was nothing compared to the devastating corner the chief priests and the Judeans' party had gotten themselves into. You see, for a thousand years, no king but God rang out in Jewish scripture, in their songs, in their revolutionary slogans. All spoke of Israel's God as the one true king of the coming Messiah as God's true king, and of pagan rulers as being parodies of true kingship. Fakers, bunch of idolaters. 
Blinded by the push for political advantage over Pilate, the chief priests, without realizing it, were pushing themselves and their followers backward toward utter capitulation. You see, both Pilate and the chief priests had forgotten the truth, if they ever knew. Above all authority and power is the living God, the king of the universe. Neither Rome might nor Jewish national religious identity are real sources of power. It is Israel's God who raises up and casts down, whether in matters of politics or of faith. Screaming, we have no king but Caesar and crucify him, the mob surged forward and I was about to command my troops to form a defensive cordon across the front of the palace pavement where the governor sat in judgment. But Pilate immediately gave the order to lead Jesus for crucifixion. As I remember the encounter that Jesus had with Pilate and the Judeans, it's clear to me that it has reshaped my understanding of the power of truth and of my life in the kingdom of the Messiah. You know, there's an odd thing about power. It seems strange to me even now, but somehow, through the so-called power of cynical kings and rulers, of aligned religious and political plots and schemes, even a custom surrounding a religious festival, somehow, through all the devices of what we call power, the real power of self-giving love became embodied on the cross. When we encounter the pilots and the priests of this world, will we remember the real power we have in King Jesus? Or like Pilate, will we try to play the angles of a cynical, self-interested politics to advance what we want? Or like the Judean priests, will we turn from the ways of our true king and connive to get our way by playing the power plays of the day. And so shout out, either explicitly or implicitly, that we have no king but Caesar. Stranger still is truth. Somehow, though the truth was misunderstood by opponents and supporters alike, Though it was distorted by false accusations and even the treachery and denials of his own disciples, there, in that encounter that Jesus had with Pilate, I first saw to my surprise that truth is a man. The truth of God's long-hoped-for promise, now come alive in history of the world, stood there. Truth stood there, in person, taking the death on a cross that would otherwise have fallen on a lying, insurrectionist murderer, and in doing so, changed the world for good. Pilate didn't see it. Caiaphas sure didn't see it, despite his ironic judgment that one man should die for the nation. I didn't see it. And I directed his killing.
I now see how he embodied the truth before Pilate and his accusers. I now get it how he gave himself for me out of divine love on the cross. And there, he forgave me. This is what truth is. This is what the power of the cross means. Indeed, what his kingdom looks like. This is how I have come to see the truth and what the truth does. I long for us together to see it, to do it. In his life and death, resurrection and ascension, we now follow Jesus in self-giving love for the world of politics, of religion, and of everything else. By the power of the Spirit, we are now called to implement his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven until he comes again. <laughs>